Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown, and today we are joined by John Groves. Hey, Curtis. John is the CEO and partner of Fit for Work, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about early intervention today. Now, early intervention, we've talked a lot about it in the past with some other podcasts where we talked about from the perspective of Fit for Work and what we provide. But today we're going to talk about just that topic in general and what a client should consider when looking into early intervention and how to implement that idea into their facility. Yeah, really think of this podcast as more of your FAQ of early intervention. So if you haven't heard our previous podcast regarding that, this is the perfect time for you to jump right in. If you have heard our other podcasts and still have some questions, hopefully those will get answered today. So take a listen to our interview with John Groves. All right, John. So many of our listeners do understand what what you've talked about in the past with early interventions, but just if there's somebody who's new, can you explain to us what is early intervention? Yeah, early intervention is, you know, on-site care from a physical therapist, athletic trainer, occupational therapist for the prevention of injuries. So it's not in response to and rehabilitating those injuries. It's responding to early sorenesses. It's responding to ergonomic needs and changes and also addressing any behavior changes. So it's, again, a lot of times people, you know, might think of it when they hear the word physical therapy or occupational therapy or athletic training, they kind of, you know, in their traditional settings, think about how those things operate. Those are very different how they're applied in an early intervention program because it's it's not a post-injury application in its truest form it's really a preventative interaction. So think certain number of hours per week, having an athletic trainer, physical therapist, occupational therapist on site, interacting with employees out on the floor, out in the field with the sole intent to prevent an injury from occurring from a musculoskeletal type injury from occurring. That's early intervention. The idea of getting out there and getting involved. So I actually just met with a new fit for work provider who is a physical therapist who had worked with another company where all they did was basically sit in the office and were there as a resource in case somebody got hurt and how much her mind shift has changed to where now she goes out on the floor. So can you illustrate that difference for those that are just familiar with a healthcare provider in sitting in an office? Yeah, no, good point. And, you know, as a physical therapist myself, I would say typically uh, PTs are very used to the sitting and waiting for someone to come to them in an office. Uh, that's 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 really how the industry is built. And of course, that's going to, you know, if that's going to be the situation, be reactive, wait for the walking wounded to come to you, you're going to be rehabbing a lot more. And so way back when, when a lot of on-site services from an injury prevention or a work comp cost reduction standpoint came into play, on-site physical therapy was, was really where things were. And a lot of people still understand that model. It's really not the best model in most cases because it doesn't change the risk. It's, it's So it just changes the address of the rehab. So it's like saying, well, we'll still let you all get hurt to the same degree that you do. We'll just make it cheaper to put you back together again. And so a lot of employers have moved away from that and said, look, I don't, wanna, I, I don't want people sitting in here waiting for the walking wounded to come in. I don't want to wait for the injury to happen. I want to stop the injury from happening. It would be no different than 
in a manufacturing setting, if you have a machine that's kicking out every product that comes out is got something wrong with it. Instead of hiring a bunch of people to fix the things that come off the machine to make them better again, instead of doing that, how about you just prevent the, you know, fix the machine, make sure it doesn't make those, those products uh, the wrong way. So most people are familiar historically from onsite, you know, uh, or with onsite physical therapy, perhaps, but early intervention done correctly uh, is not that at all. It's 100% uh, before there's a patient, if you will. And John, even just taking that analogy that you just said with the machine and, and actually getting around to fixing the machine opposed to having to go back and, and fixing the product or altering the product, I mean, in the end, it ends up saving everybody money, would you say? Money and time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of companies are starting to realize, look, this is my opinion. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think in the in the recession in 2008, all of a sudden there wasn't any more revenue to be had. And so people started looking inward and saying, all right, how do we squeeze more out? How do we squeeze more margin and productivity and efficiency? Where can we go? And when you look at people getting predictably hurt on a musculoskeletal issue, it seems like that awoken a lot of companies to, all right, safety is going to have to start being one of those metrics that we look at. In other words, you can't profess you're the greatest company in the world to work for. You can't profess that you deliver the best products and services if everybody's getting hurt left and right. Now, obviously, there are some injuries or some industries that are more prone to it than others in terms of how much physical movement and things have to happen. There's that's 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 without question. But companies seem to the enlightened companies, I would say, have realized, look, we just can't, we can't use a 1950s mentality to labor when there are things that we can do to really prevent the issue. And we can't, we can't be the best place to work. We can't attract the best labor. We can't get the A players when everybody's getting hurt all the time, but the place across the street's doing it better than we are. You, know, you can imagine where the, the good talent shows up. So absolutely. John, you mentioned a couple of different industries that we're in. Does the size of a company or even the type of company affect how the early intervention programs work? Yeah, it really does. I mean, you look at, in general, physical and repetitive industries are really where you're going to make the difference. And, you know, that goes hand in hand with being the, you know, top one or two issues of being musculoskeletal injuries that those types of clients see. So you're not going to see it as much in the office industry or office setting, if you will, because they're just, you know, they just don't have as many injuries per se. Yeah, they have some carpal tunnel and those types, but you don't have the physical risk that you do in physical and repetitive industries. And then, you know, in terms of size, obviously the bigger the, the site, the better the ROI, just a bigger sample size from a, from that standpoint. But, you know, we work with clients that have 50 people in one location. It might be one of 20 locations. And so it's part of the, you know, it's part of the whole total package. You wouldn't necessarily have the same ROI in a 50-man site that you would in a 1,000-man site over a course of 6 to 12 months. Because what happens if the 50-man site only has one injury every two years? Theoretically, you're going to have to be in there multiple years to, to measure if you're truly making a difference in that. But in the context of a, the whole platform of a company, you can it, it gets to be part of the ROI. So long way of saying, yes, the, you know, the physical and repetitive industries are really where it's at. A lot of times people think, you know, manufacturing and warehouse, that's very true. It's very classically responsive to early intervention, but it's also, you see people that are out, you know, in the telecommunications or utilities or delivery space where they're doing a lot of physical and repetitive work out there as well, construction, road construction, site construction, infrastructure, all those types of things. So as long as you can find ways to, to interact with the people so that you can hit all three of those leading indicators, the early soreness, the ergonomics, and the behaviors, you can drop those. 
You had talked to before about ROI, and some people may not know that is a return on investment. So one of the expectations they can have with ROI or that return on investment is two to one or five to one. Can you explain what that means when you say a two to one or a five to one return on investment for the clients? Now, we just did a review with a client, you know, one-year pilot, and we had about a six or seven to one ROI with that. So does it go higher than that? Absolutely. But I think in a conservative range, employees should really expect a two to one to a five to one ROI. First, I'm wondering, as you've been listening to the first half of this interview, are you asking yourself, do you need an experienced ergonomic partner? Are you overwhelmed with the number of positions you have to assess and don't know where to start? Do you want to perform physical demands analyses on your positions? And are you wondering how to create post-offer testing for your new employees? Well, Fit for Work can help with our team of certified professional ergonomists. Check out our website, wellworkforce.com, and click on the Connect With Us button for more information. John, in talking about ROI and then, of course, that that 50% reduction, we also talked earlier about other wellness programs, the ones where you know they kind of sit back and wait for things to happen. Typically, sometimes those other wellness programs take you know three-ish years to see a turnaround or to see results. For early intervention, you know, how long would it take for someone to see that 50% reduction, that, uh, that ROI? What's a, what's a reasonable expectation for one of our clients? Yeah, that's a question that a lot of prospects or clients ask in an adjacent space being the wellness space, which, you know, we're not in. You know, any anybody, any purveyor of wellness will say, well, you know, it's a three-year, it takes a while to take hold. And there's it's obviously very debatable whether wellness initiatives even make an impact. That's been a highly scrutinized environment. We're very results-based. And so I'd, I would contrast from that where you're going to see tangible results. You sh- and if this is done right, and again, there's, there's early intervention programs that we see that are very passive where they sit and wait for the walk wounded to come to them. Uh, this won't apply to that. But if you're if you're out there being proactive, if your workforce is driven and, and, and incentivized and managed to metrics that are, you know, key performance indicators for leading indicators to prevent issues, you should start to see tangible results at six months, um, which is why we do a lot of pilots in that time frame. And you should be up to full speed by 12 to 18 months, uh, depending on the size. The bigger the bigger the plant, the quicker you get to the, the reduction. So uh, just from a sample size standpoint, right? So it's at six, I always tell folks, you'll see tangible results at six months. Shoot, you'll see anecdotal results at three months. You'll have tangible results by six months, and you can kind of expect to be full speed at 12 to 18 months. I know that there are seven different methods out there for doing early interventions, and ones where the early intervention company, you know, they'll hire the ATC and the PT, the physical therapist, occupational therapist. So one where the companies act like a staffing agency and they bring people in and and then they kind of educate them on what to do within that that setting. How do you compare and contrast those to what Fit for Work provides? Yeah, no, good question. And there's, there's, you know, I look at it as three basic methodologies, which you laid out there. Number one, like Fit for Work, the employees are ours. And we deliver the the strategy through our our on-site injury prevention specialist. The other one is the network where they, they're relying, they kind of act as a staffing agency, like you said, where it's a, they secure a contract and then network it out to local folks to deliver the, to have the, you know, the, the labor come in and, and do that. And the other is, is maybe a continuing education 
format where people can sign up, be educated on a couple specific techniques, and then with some training on how to approach employer, employers in a local market, really somewhat as a strategy to diversify revenue for a clinic of some sort and try to get pathways or traffic, I should say, through your clinic by connecting with employers. And so you know, the continue education, the network model, and, the, and then the employed model. And so when you look at the number one thing clients are really sensitive to is consistency, right? So if you're going to do this in one location, that's one thing. If you're going to scale it up and do it in 16 locations, I always say people want the same McDonald's cheeseburger wherever they go. They don't want a really good one somewhere and then a really bad one somewhere else. That doesn't do a big company much good to have an inconsistent process. And so when you're looking at utilizing a network, I, you know, there's some, some real holes in that whole process to having a loosely controlled group of subcontractors with, you know, multiple different people, right? You might have, if you have 16 locations across the country, those contracts, you think about it, I mean, they have 16 different people that they answer to, none of which are the people that are actually wanting and driving the overseeing the injury prevention process. So you got to, the quality assurance from a company standpoint is why we do not operate in that model because it would be, it would be a nightmare. And also when you consider, you know, there's over 300,000 physical therapists, athletic trainers, occupational therapists in the country, and there's not a single teaching institution that teaches what we do, it makes no sense really to outsource that to a reactive mindset clinician who hasn't been trained, hasn't gone through the paradigm shift of this. And they're just going to go out and be reactive, sit, wait for the walking wounded to come to you. You're just You're just not, you might have a few in there that, that spark up and or have a passion or interest, but it's going to be pretty tough to scale that consistently. So from a network standpoint, you know, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, to be honest, from operating it if it was that easy. But it's such a specialized off-label use of these providers. It's difficult to to scale well with a network. And there's a lot of holes in that process. In terms of the education component, what's the intent? Uh, is the intent to really get traffic through a clinic? And what we typically see is those folks will sit in a clinic on site and they don't go out on the floor at all. They really don't have a, a model to do that. You know, and they'll see some reductions, right? I mean, some some early, some attending to some people's symptoms, no question question stagnant program. It doesn't it doesn't row upstream further and further into prevention from that. John, Fit for Work has been doing this for 25 years and the world has seen a lot of changes in that time. Can you tell us a little bit how how the market has responded to basically fit for work and the and the early intervention model? Yeah, good good question, Amber. And it's kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, we've been doing this for about 25 years. And in some ways, the concept is still new. It by no way is, you know, you think about preventative maintenance on machines. You know, that's, that's, that's of course, that's obvious in business out there. Um, this is kind of that model, except for the human machine. And it is not, you know, the standard by any means. Uh, that being said, we do have seen, especially in the last, you know, five years or so, the market being uh, much more aware of what early intervention is. Many more people and companies, when you say early intervention, they, they understand what that means um, and or at least they have a closer definition of what that means compared to what they used to. So in some ways, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that this is a, you know, a new uh, and disruptive concept, yet at the same time, we've been doing it for, for 25 years. And so, um, you know, the good news is, is when you when a client does engage with it, it's such an impactful and sudden change that it, you know, it expands very quickly. So while that's not necessarily a market, that's on a per client basis, you know, the, 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 the infrastructure or the culture within that client certainly is accepting of that and expands very quickly. 
Now, John, you had mentioned that this type of service that we provide may not be for everyone, but we should be able to give tips and advice for all companies on what are the top two or top three most important things that an employer needs to consider when they do choose an early intervention company. Yeah, great question. And I would advise, you know, look for consistency and results, look for the ability to scale. And then I'd also do your do your best to get a feel for how well run is the, the organization that you're going to partner with. You know, you want that ER, EI partner, if they're a disaster internally where they just have people, you know, turning over, it's not a great place to work. You know, people aren't staying. They're having to throw high salaries to keep people in place or, you know, some of those warning signs. Obviously, the third party data will tell you this in the HBR article, but it just logical tell you too, that your service coming out of that scenario isn't going to be as good. So culturally, it's really important that your vendor is well run, that it is an employer of destination and that there are opportunities to grow personally and professionally. And so that's why we invest so heavily in that, because without that, we can't get the results and we can't be scalable. Yes, you got to have the right people in place. You got to match that with the world-class process and talent. But we always kind of say infrastructure, culture gets you the results. Results start a lot of the conversations. But if you don't get the infrastructure right, and you don't get the, the culture right, it's going to be very difficult to consistently deliver 50% reductions or more. And so those are the three things that I think are important to clients, particularly the consistency and the scalability. But I'd also advise to poke around and get a sense for how well run the organization is. Ask questions. How are they, how are they developing people both personally and professionally? How, how are the leadership, you know, being, being groomed? And so, you know, kind of ask those questions to get a feel for, a lift, you know, a look under the veil, if you will, of the quality of the company that you'd be partnering with. Well, and I like that idea of asking questions about that company that you're a vendor. You don't want, you, you should know, want to know more than what are your results, but what is deeper about you. And I think that's a very wise tip for anybody who goes into business with a vendor is learn more about them. And, and that's becoming more and more of a prominent topic. So great reminder for all those who do that. Yeah. You know, the last thing I'd just say on that is if you think about what early intervention does, it interacts with the employees in their workplace thousands and thousands of times per year. You got to make sure you get that right. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to put some ill-advised process in there, interact with your employees hundreds of thousands of times, you want to make sure that, that, that that's done correctly. So absolutely, that's, that's, that's extremely important for clients. I've been able to interact with so many new hires of Fit for Work, and it's always great to hear their stories of the interview process and how it's so different for them of, wow, most, com- most of the times I've just get you know, one interview and I'm hired, but in this one, it was three to four interviews and am I the right fit? So getting a deeper engagement with, the, with those you hire is important because you don't want to put bad apples in your bin at your workplace, that's for sure. So thank you so much, John, and breaking this all down for us. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really liked how John brought it all around there at the end. You know, he was talking about how the hiring process goes and the education that the Fit for Work providers get. And I I just really feel like that's an important part for somebody who is considering an early intervention partnership. And you want to make sure that the company that you are partnering with takes care of their own employees because you're bringing them in to take care of yours. So I just think that that's, that's a, a key component there. 
Yeah, you don't want to make rash decisions when doing this because rash decisions will give you worse things than rashes. <laughs> Jeez, Curtis. <laughs> That's my dad joke for the day. <laughs> I love um, it. But it is true that you want to make sure they're a good company. But I also like the the ideas in general that were presented of the idea of early intervention. It doesn't have to come from a company. If the place that you're working, it's feeling overwhelming, it's great to bring in a our contractor like fit for work. But these are things that anybody can understand that, you know, you have to have a mechanic to do maintenance on your machines if you want to not slow down in production. And that's exactly what the principle of early intervention is all about. So I want to thank you all for listening to this episode episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And please visit our website, wellworkforce.com, to get started preventing injuries. And remember, prevention improves lives. 